Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome, and this is Cindy Meyer, your radio show host of this weekly Spirit Seeker Hour, brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. So Spirit Seeker Magazine started 23 years ago in St. Louis and then uh, has been online since 1998, uh, but we do have a print magazine that is in the Midwest. We are in uh, St. Louis, Springfield, Illinois, Chicago, Illinois, and all kinds of other small towns in uh, Missouri and Illinois, as well as we are in West Palm Beach, Florida with the print magazine. We, um, we also have a weekly email newsletter, and I invite you to join our newsletter because we will let you know when the magazine is online, uh, who our radio show guests are, and other wonderful Mind, Body, Spirit events happening throughout the U.S. Uh, and actually into Canada. So to do that, there's one of two ways. You can either uh, go to the spiritseekermagazine.com website, and there's a, um, a large thing that says join our email newsletter. So you can sign there, or you can send an email to info at spiritseeker.com asking to be added to the email list. Um, we do not sell our list at Sacrosanct, but we do let you know about um, events happening, as I said, throughout, um, throughout you know, the, the uh, U.S., et cetera. The other thing is, is by being on our email list, you are eligible for drawings for books and DVDs and CDs and tickets to events, um, and we bless our email subscribers. So um, please do join us. And, you know, the, the radio show, the minute it's finished, it is a podcast, and uh, the file can be downloaded and shared with friends, and we know you're listening because we get the stats, so we thank you for that. Okay, just a couple of other announcements before I bring uh, on my guest uh, today. Uh, Spirit Seeker is a sponsor of many, many events, anything from musical events to uh, conferences. And I just want to mention a few of the conferences um, where we will be. We've already been to eight or ten already in 2019. It's been a busy year. Uh, but we will be at the Karma Care Clinic in Columbia, Missouri. We'll be at the Pegasus Show in Collinsville, Illinois. We will be at the Crossroads Show in St. Louis. We will be at the Heartland Hypnosis Conference. Um, coming up the end of April, and then we will be in Chicago in May and Chicago in June for the Body, Mind, Spirit Expo. So you will find Spirit Seeker magazines at all of those events, and um, I will be a speaker at, I think, four of those events. So if you want information, all of that will come to you via that email newsletter. Okay, so we are finished with announcements. Yay. Um, So I... I'm delighted. Uh, the guest today is Mae McCarthy, and she is the author of The Gratitude Formula. This is her uh, recent book. Um, but she has uh, written you know, two books, and she's co-founded and helped to grow six successful companies over her 35-year career, with the largest growing to over $100 million in annual revenues. She credits her success to the principles described in her books, The Path to Wealth, Seven Spiritual Steps for Financial Abundance, and The Gratitude Formula, um, her most most recent book. And she firmly believes that financial success and freedom are available to anyone who is willing to apply these principles. Um, Her website is www.maymccarthy.com, and that is M-A-Y-M-C-C-A-R-T-H-Y.com. And May, thank you for joining us. Oh, Cindy, thanks for having me on. Well, you know, you you have quite um, quite a track record here, and uh, I guess my question is: before you wrote your books, and and when when what year was your first book, um, uh, The Path to Wealth? What year did you write that book? 
Um, I well, I started teaching the principles in 2013, and the book itself was put together and came out at the beginning of 2015. Okay, and do you just want to share anything about your path and how the spiritual part became so important um, in guiding everything that you do? Oh, sure. Well, I actually, I guess it starts when I first got interested in business at six years old. (laughs) My parents um, told all ten of their children, and I'm number ten, that they would take care of, of course, all of that what we needed as children growing up in their family, you know, food, clothing, school, things like that. And, of course, gifts for special events, birthdays, Christmas. But if we wanted extra money to do things that we wanted to do or buy toys or what have you, that what we needed to do was be on the lookout for ways that we could facilitate a fair exchange of value. We needed to identify some problems that people were having that we could solve or to provide conveniences to people that needed some help. And if we did that, they would give us money and then we could buy toys. And I watched my older brothers and sisters mow lawns and wash cars and cut hedges and wash windows and things like that. And one day at six years old, I told my mother that I saw a problem that I wanted to solve. And it was that people that were outside in front of our house on the beach looked hot. There were no drinking fountains or anything on our beach. And I wanted to provide them with some refreshments. And if I did that, then they would give me money. (laughs) So this idea of having a fair exchange of value in business really became part of my purpose, uh, which is to bless others and be blessed, to give and to receive, to to help elevate prosperity and freedom for everyone and to be elevated, prosperous, and free. So that, that idea of a fair exchange of value really has been a core belief for me uh, throughout my whole career. And when I, when I was asked to write the path, to wealth. It was after I had been teaching the principles from it. Somebody in 2005 asked me what I was doing to be so successful. Uh, It was a senior minister at a center for spiritual living. And I said, well, you know, I thought it was kind of a trick question, Cindy, to be honest with you. So I gingerly replied that I was doing what they taught there and wasn't that correct. <laughs> and she laughed and said, no, you're doing, you're doing something else. Do you have a daily practice? And I said, well, of course I do. And I explained it. And so she asked me if I would start teaching some classes, and I did. And then I really got a formal curriculum together. Um, a little bit later, and uh, that became a book. Wow. You know, it's funny, The Artist's Way was similar um, by Julia Cameron. She never meant for it to be a book. I mean, and look at Louise Hay with Heal Your Body. That was never supposed to be a book. That was mm-hmm. a, and it's interesting, it was a religious science church where she did her project of studying, you know, what what is the thought that's out of balance when you get sick and, you know, and everyone's like, you should make this a book. And I think that that a lot of times is the book comes after the knowledge is actually gleaned. You know, so how profound, though, you know, to have the information first and then share it. It's, it's, it's not the way it normally happens. 
Well, I think a lot of us that are that have a spiritual practice are doing things that one of the things I love about Centers for Spiritual Living and Unity and other new thought um, organizations is that they expose you to so many different kinds of practices that have been around, you know, since the beginning of time in, in all sorts of different traditions. And the fact that they expose you to so many ways to deepen that spiritual connection with your source, with with God, with divine intelligence, the universe, whatever someone chooses to call it, that creative uh, source in the universe, but but not only to deepen that connection, but to use tried and true spiritual laws for our benefit. And and we know in in many different traditions, they talk a lot about some of the same laws, like the law of giving and receiving. Um, in some traditions, it might be called karma. In other traditions, it's called tithing or or what have you. But this idea of of laws that are in spiritual nature, let's say, um, are are common. And what I love about being exposed to so many different traditions is it gives us an opportunity to try stuff on and see what works best for us to connect to that source and to create a life that we love. I agree totally. And I I like how you say it's a formula. You know, it's a... Um, how did you word this? You know, it's basically um, success is a system, not a secret. That's what I wanted to get to. Is and your and your book actually gives the system, um, right? So the reason I say that success is a system and not a secret is because a lot of people will look at someone that's really, really successful, and um, whatever their definition of success is. And they'll think, oh, my gosh, they must know a secret. They're, you know, it's only reserved for a few people, that kind of success. And, and I wanted people to, to stop and recognize how powerful they were. I actually wrote the gratitude formula after I was contacted by thousands of people who had read The Path to Wealth. And many of them would say, oh, my gosh, I'm able to achieve all these things now, and I'm so grateful um, this this system works for the things I believe are possible. But for the things that are bigger than anything I've experienced before or different than anything I've experienced before, well, since I wasn't getting any intuitive direction, I figured those goals weren't right for me, so I just gave up on them. And I wanted people to not give up on those goals. So Gratitude Formula came about really as an advanced study to the path to wealth. What I wanted people to recognize is they've already proved how powerful they are, and they just need to remember to remember that and do a few things to shift their beliefs in order to be on par with these bigger goals. And if they do that, they'll be able to achieve those as well. You know, being raised with 10 children, I'm going to go back to that. Um, you know, my stepfather had 10 children in his family, and my mother had nine in hers. And, um, you know, I've studied a lot with birth order and psychology, et cetera. So I cannot even imagine what it was like to be the youngest looking up at 12 people older than you 
you know, your parents or your first teachers. But when you have that many children, a lot of times the children are your teachers. You know, oh, yeah, older. I got a chance to witness um, what not to do or what not to get caught doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was no one behind you to point fingers at. You were you were at the bottom of the line. <laughs> so. I know. I, I just had to watch and say, ooh, okay, if you do that, mom's going to get really upset, so I won't do that. Or I just won't get caught. <laughs> right. But but look at you at eight. I'll be six, smarter like, than my I, brother. <laughs> oh, absolutely, well, absolutely. But, it was but you know, at eight. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> it was kind of interesting because there were three girls in my family that were the oldest, and then six boys, and then me. So I didn't have some of the dynamics that that some families have when when um, siblings of the same sex are so close together in age. I was really a tomboy and did lots of sports and did lots of things that my brothers did. So I I um you know took some of the same risks that they did in surfing and body surfing and and sailing and things like that that we that we did and and uh, jumping off of cliffs into water and you know those <laughs> kinds of things it it just didn't occur to me that that a girl shouldn't do that cuz I hung out with them. So I was grateful for that. The other thing I was really grateful is I got a chance to understand how boys communicate. And what I mean by that is it helped me to see that they they just lay it all out as it is. And that helped me a lot in business. They couldn't read minds. They uh, didn't understand how I was feeling unless I actually said something. Um, so all that training helped me as I started to grow businesses. I got a chance to speak to male employees the way that they understood uh, how to be spoken to. They didn't have to guess. And a lot of times there you know, there have been countless numbers of books that have been written about you know, the difference in communication style between women and men. And the fact that I got a chance to hang out with so many boys growing up, I understood their communication style. And then, of course, with my girlfriends, we had a different communication style. So it was really helpful, um, helpful training uh, for my business career later in life. I grew up with five brothers. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly. And, you know, the last two were twins, and I always wanted that sister, right? And then after the last two were twins, I was like, you know what? I don't need a sister, <laughs> you know. <laughs> we, but, but see, four, of them, four were younger than me, and that's, you know, a little bit different. But, um, but nonetheless, it was all masculine energy. And I grew up with a mother who didn't like crying, you know, so it was it was – which made it really easy for the boys. And then, you know, for me, um, I, I totally understand. It's a different communication style. And um, and once you learn it, it's, it's you know, and I grew up playing Risk. You know, we played Monopoly too, but, um, but you know, how many girls play Risk, you know? And I understood about, you know, armies and, you know, all the stuff that, you know, and we played poker and things like that. But, um, but you know, girls play that too. But there wasn't as much of a stereotype on boys and girls because, you know, we were all busy, you know, with exactly. six kids and, yeah. And, you know, and, um, but, it, but it's interesting that, you know, you are so positive with, um, 
with, you know, being the end of the line and kind of knowing the rules and, you know, here it is, we're going to do this, 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 but if you want extra, you're going to do this, this, this. And it actually created probably very self-sufficient children. Yeah, everybody is self-sufficient. There wasn't anyone that, well, and and even to this day, there's no one that's that uh, doesn't own their own home and, and uh, you know, is providing for their family and and doing what they love. Yeah, that was one thing that my my parents were really really uh, great supporters of is that we do what we love. Um, and contrary to that, were lots of family members that were raised on the East Coast uh, from my dad's family, and their belief they were raised with a belief that your passion shouldn't be your profession. And it was exactly the opposite in our family. Your passion can be your profession. Wow. That wise, yeah, wise guiding great. words. Yeah. I mean, you it know, really I love was. that. And, that, you know, and, that's, sorry, what, and that's, what we, that's what we teach in, in um, New Thought Spirituality as well, is that your purpose, which is where you get passion and fuel from, the why that you're here, is is something that you really should discover and know because if you do, then you're going to start looking at goals and directions for your life through that lens of purpose, the why that you're here to do what you do. And consequently, you'll be more engaged. And most of the time when people are passionate and engaged about what they're doing, they tend to be more successful. And that's oh, part agree. of what totally. the gratitude formula is discovering your purpose. That's our that's the seventh step in the gratitude formula is to discover your purpose. Well let's talk about that just a little bit. And um what I love about your book is that there are exercises that, you know, bring home the point. There's um like questions to to, to begin to create your goal statements, answer the following questions. Um, what is your idea of living in a world that works for everyone? And then describe what your life would be like living in a world that works for everyone. How do you feel? What are you doing? Who are you with? Where are you? Um, how does achieving the goal affect others related to you, your company, your family, community, etc.? So you're using every sense. You can see it. You can feel it. You can um, vision the people, vision the place. How do, what, what does this look like? So you're using, you know, I love how you use all the different senses and to actually, for the person to actually be able to see it. Yeah, what I'm trying to get at, um, and that's that's step two, is to use, create and use powerful goal statements with gratitude to attract your desires. And the reason that I have people ask questions about what is your life like after you've achieved that goal is because you have to have that planted in your thoughts, your words, your subconscious, your emotions, in order for you to stimulate your subconscious and intuition to show up in an obvious way to point the way. And and so an example of that is you might hear, especially after the first of the year when we are all talking about resolutions and intentions, you might hear someone say that, they want to lose 10 pounds. You know, maybe they gained a little weight over the holidays. Well, think about that goal for a minute. If the goal is I want to lose 10 pounds, then my my response to that person saying that that was their goal would be you've already achieved it. Mm-hmm. You are already wanting 
So you will not get any direction from your subconscious or intuition because you're already in a state of wanting. That's your goal. I want. So what you have to do is describe your goal as though it's already completed with gratitude in order to get those um, illuminated and possible steps for you to take to achieve to achieve it. So you might say, I'm so grateful that I am physically fit, trim, toned, energetic, and a healthy, pain-free body that easily moves through life. Now what will happen is your subconscious and your intuition will go on high alert, and it will start filtering the billions of pieces of data that are coming at you every day, and it will illuminate things that you can take action on. You might get a strong thought to call someone you haven't talked to in a long time, and it just so happens that they're now in a group that likes to go hiking on the weekends, and you get invited along. Well, more exercise helps you to be more fit, right? Or you might um, you might run across an ad in, in Spirit Seeker magazine <laughs> about <laughs> a, a, a healthy cooking retreat with yoga, and you just and you get you know you notice that ad, and whereas you may have seen you know glom, glanced it by it uh, a couple times before without really noticing it, but that day you noticed that ad and thought, wow, that would be really fun to go to, and you sign up. It's exactly so, how it works. It's exactly, I mean, it's it's like you set the intention and then the things come to you. But but the way in which you explain it in this book is so fabulous. It's that you move, well, why don't you start with step one? And then, because uh, I did skip to skip step two, I, I apologize. Um, but but really, you know, never, never mind. Do you want to start with step one or do you want to continue where we I are? Sure, well, step one, step one is to do a daily practice. And if you read The Path to Wealth, there are seven steps of a daily practice. That's all step one in the gratitude formula. So you've got to do a daily practice. Step two is to create and use powerful goal statements. So I do ask people to really think about what is my life like after I have a whole, healthy, and complete body, after I have harmonious relationships with my family, my friends, my coworkers, my community and our world. Um, after you have a financial freedom in a bank account with the right number of zeros <laughs> in your bank account, um, what is your life like after you have support and resources necessary to have a certain number of vacations and, and to rebalance and recharge uh, for recreation, what is your life like with your sweetheart? What is your life like um, with your deepening spiritual connection? So when you answer all those questions, you're going to get some idea of what that completed goal really looks like and feels like and and what it means to you. And from that, you end up creating some goal statements similar to the one that I gave you about the woman that wanted to lose 10 pounds and what her life is like after she's done that. The third step is to choose goals that are right for you, not goals that other people have for you. There are lots and lots and lots of people out there who, when they're asked to do something, have this habit of saying yes right away, and then they build up a whole bunch of resentment, and they feel taken advantage of. 
And so what I would ask people to do is when someone asks them to do something, they need to take a deep breath and ask themselves a few questions. Number one, is this required of me as part of my job or maybe your role in life? Maybe you're a parent and you and your daughter have committed that you'll get her to soccer practice every day or three days a week. Well, yes, you're required to take her to soccer practice because of the commitment. But if she just says, will you take me to the mall so I can hang out with my friends, you're not really required to do that. So the second question would be, if I'm not required to do it, will I have any fun? Will this bring me joy? Is this something that I want to do? And if the answer to that is no, then if I were in the place of the person asking for my help, how would I want to receive the answer, no, I don't want to do this? You'd want to receive it with compassion and love. But when you answer those first two questions and realize it's not required of you and it would not give you any joy, take some time by yourself, maybe five minutes, and and go quiet. Take Take some deep breaths and go really quiet and set the intention that you want the highest and greatest good for everyone in this situation. When you do that, sometimes you think of someone to contact that that might work for your company who would enjoy this extracurricular project that your manager has asked you to do that isn't required of you. Or maybe you think of um, of finding out from your daughter who are all the other friends that are going to be at the mall and you're able to find out that one of the mothers of one of the other friends is going to go and your daughter can catch a ride. So your intention is that everyone be blessed but not necessarily that you do something that you feel taken advantage of or resentful. And the reason being is when you're experiencing a negative emotion, you can't notice those intuitive directions that are trying to get your attention for you to take steps towards your own goals. And you may be overloaded and exhausted. And in those kinds of states... Um, it's really tough to notice that still small voice of intuition. So choose goals that are right for you. The fourth is to recognize that your brain loves you. Now, what I mean by that is that we come to this state in our lives with a lot of beliefs and behaviors. They've been created over our entire life. This is how it is. This is the way it goes. This is who I am. And when we have a goal that's bigger than anything we've received before or different, then what ends up happening is our brain remembers all of the times that we had big goals before and we didn't achieve them and how disappointed we were. So the brain, essentially, in an effort to try and protect you, puts those spiritual intuitive messages on mute until you shift your beliefs to be on par with what you want. So what you have to do is go out and find stories about people that have achieved what you want to achieve. Continue with your daily practice. Continue writing those powerful goal statements as though they're complete with gratitude. And go out and find stories and meet people who have achieved what you want to achieve. 
If you do that, and you do that consistently over time, what will happen is your brain will start to see, wow, if they could do it, I could do it. And your belief systems will start to shift. You're strengthening in your brain a different neural pathway that is in alignment with that new belief that you can be that successful person, that you can be that whole, healthy, and complete person, that you can be the uh, have a thriving and prospering business, that you can have harmonious relationships. Whatever your goals are, as you see that other people are achieving them, you'll start to believe that it's possible for you as well. And then finally, um, first step, oh, sorry, not finally, but uh, the fifth step is to be patient. You have to be patient in waiting for those intuitive leads. Because we live in such an instant gratification society, I mean, if I wake up at 3 o'clock this morning and I want something, I can go somewhere and get it. I can even order it on Amazon and have it delivered the next day. <laughs> I mean, we've we've gotten so conditioned to just just take immediate action, and our brain tries to think, 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 think rationally of every single thing that we could do, and that is very different than an intuitive lead. So you got to be patient and make sure that you are being guided and directed rather than forcing something to happen. Because if you force it and you fail, guess what your brain's going to do? It's going to put intuition right back on mute. And then the sixth step is to be disciplined, even when you start to be pulled back to an old way of life. You know, so often I think Catherine Ponder uh, writes about something called chemicalization. You know, it, it, it tries to return us to a norm that we knew how to cope in. Even if it was a, a lifestyle or, or a, a habit that we, that we had before that was not one that we wanted to continue with, but we knew how to cope with it. We knew how to cope in that undesirable lifestyle. And our, and, and our brains, our, our rational mind, and, and everything about us likes what's familiar. So it'll try and pull us back. And one guy that I remember that took a workshop from me, he was always the runt in his family. I mean, he was bullied at school. And, and as he got done with college and went off to get a job, you know, he, he, his norm was to be as invisible as possible, to do just what was expected of him. And when he took a workshop from me, you know, he... He confessed. He says, you know, I have lots of really good ideas that I know would be helpful to the company, but I'm terrified to speak up. And so, you know, we worked together, and he said, what I really want, what I really want is to to be an asset and to be valued and appreciated by my company and to be able to, to work together as a team to to serve our customers and help our company and our customers thrive and prosper. I want I want to be able to be part of something that's meaningful and help it grow. So he started writing all that down as though it was done. Well, all sorts of disasters started happening at his job. I mean, people, even his boss came to him and said, you know, I've noticed that you're acting differently. And if you're doing this because you want a promotion, you can just forget it. You'll never be promoted here. I mean, really cruel. And he started missing that old life 
of being invisible. And I told him, don't give up yet. Keep reading stories about people. Go out and meet people. Keep doing your daily practice. And one day, as he was riding home on the bus, he noticed this sign for a company, and he didn't know what they did. But the sign kind of sparkled, and he didn't think anything of it. Meanwhile, things at the office are getting worse and worse, and he's kind of miserable. And not very long after, he's riding the bus home again, and it breaks down. And as he's walking, instead of waiting for a replacement bus, as he's walking, he sees that sign of that company again. He goes in, he starts talking to the receptionist and says, you know, uh, what do you guys do? And, and they're having a great conversation. And out from the back, uh, one of the managers came out and learned who this guy was. His name was Alex and uh, asked him, what do you do? And Alex responded and he says, you know, we're hiring right now. Do you want to? Do you have a few minutes? Come, let's go talk in my office. Well, Alex then applied for a new job and got an even better job with higher pay, and he feels like he's really participating in helping the growth of the company. He made a whole bunch of new friends. They do um, company-sponsored Habitat for Humanity projects. I mean, he's having a ball. So Fabulous. When, Fabulous. <laughs> yeah. When you start to be pulled back to that old way of life, um, know that that your good is just around the corner. Don't give up. And those are your seven steps. Oh, I mean, there's seven steps, but it's like each step is a world of its own, you know, like, and then they all lead up to the next step. You know, it's it's magical. It's absolutely magical. And, you know, I, I like how you say, you know, find other people that have reached those goals or done something very similar because, you know, a lot of times we don't have a role model. You know, we don't have a road map or whatever. And, and sometimes just studying someone who's successful, you feel that energy of that person, and they didn't give up. They just kept going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a big believer. And what I try and let people know is they've already used this system for success. But it happened so long ago that they sort of forgot. So my job is to help them to remember to remember. And I'll ask you the same thing, Cindy. Do you remember when you learned to ride a bike? I do. It was a big deal. Yeah, you weren't (laughs) perfect the first time you got on a bike, were you? Nope. I I mean, I I remember. Yeah, oh, absolutely, several times. Right. Exactly. But, But... you saw family members, you saw friends, you saw other people that were riding a bike successfully. They're balancing on two little teeny thin wheels, and they're sailing down the street. And every single day you practiced and you practiced and you practiced, and you imagined and you saw that other people could do it, so you knew that it was possible that you could do it. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You can probably go several years without riding a bike and still get on and balance on those two wheels. You mastered through repetition and seeing that it was possible how to ride a bike. And how how many times have you driven home from someplace you go often and you don't even remember large parts of your drive home? Oh, I think that's very true for a lot of, yeah. I right. Just, you just, it's just, you're automatic almost. Exactly. Yeah, go ahead. When you first learned to drive, when you ver- first learned, you put in a lot of mental and physical effort. 
you saw other family members and friends and other people driving, so you knew it was possible. And now you mastered it. You know, I think um, this is a little bit different, but it's similar. Um, I was just talking to a friend about how her dog, who's not very old, I mean, it's, it's the dog's still going to uh, puppy school, so to speak, but the dog now recognizes the driving route home. And when they're like three blocks from the house, the dog starts just like so excited because the dog knows that street and knows that they're almost home. So like the neural pathway for that dog is like smarter you know, then you can even imagine. It's like, oh, we're almost home. And it's the same thing. Now that dog knows when they're getting close to the school, you know, where he's being trained because there's a there's a play school. They have play area. So this dog is so smart that it just recognizes it. And I think that so often we just get on rote with our lives, you know, that we, you know, you just forget to think about doing it a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet it's all there. And... One of the things that um, I really, really like about your book is that you keep doing it. You keep doing the steps. You know, it's like read something inspirational. You know, whatever it takes to, like, get that inspiration in and then let the let the negative thoughts just go. And sometimes they, you know, they do come up, but it's like a matter of, like you were saying, you know, it's easy to fall back into the other ways, but a lot of times you get kicked out of that. And, you know, the person, Alex... Like seeing the energy of that sign and seeing like the glitter and the next thing you know, look what happens. Mm-hmm. Because we we think we know everything and really it's the universe that delivers it. You know, we can think it into action, the willingness to receive it, but I I firmly, you know, believe I've limited myself and as have many others by thinking we know how it's supposed to come. So now I really, you know, think bigger and I, I you know, it is a system, success is a system, and you have to, like, get out of the every moment filled in order to create that space for the intuition to come in. And that's, yeah. and, and, you know, my first it's a book, big I, deal. I point that out. Yeah. In the first book, I point that out um, perfectly, as you just described. Um, and nothing that I write about is brand new. It's just packaged in a different way that maybe, you know, maybe some people's style. Um, certainly my style, <laughs> but I, I like the do this and the understanding will follow. That works better for me than here's a whole bunch of theories and, you know, good luck figuring it out. Um, I, I like do this <laughs> and then uh, and then I'll understand it after the fact. And and that seems to be what a lot of people, especially if they're, if they're using it for uh, business purposes or for financial freedom or anything related to their work or relationships. Um, the Just do these simple steps and understanding will follow tends to work pretty well because they're based on, they're based on steps that actually make your life easier. The ultimate premise is that you can partner with that source of intuition, with with God, with spirit, with the uh, universe, with this divine intelligence and all-knowing power that's in our universe. And in that partnership, there are clear roles and responsibilities for you both to follow. Your job, you know, our job is to figure out what we want and make sure that we're using the right words to describe it. 
describe it as though it's already complete with gratitude. The, the spirit's job, and I, I gave spirit a, a title in my company. I call it the chief spiritual officer, but it's definitely my life partner. And that's also the source of the of my intuition. So I gave it a title called the Chief Spiritual Officer or CSO for short. Now the CSO's job is to figure out how I get what I want. My job is to figure out what I want. CSO's job is the how. And to give me one step at a time to take through intuition, through messages from other people or on signs, but somehow to get me the information that directs me to take one step at a time. Like Alex, he saw that sign and it sparkled and he remembered it. That was an intuitive idea. And then when he was walking home, it sparkled even greater, and he goes, wow, I need to take action. I need to walk in and find out what these people do. Now, he may have taken the bus a hundred times before that and never noticed that sign, but he noticed it those two days. That's intuition. Absolutely. And that all, all of the intuition requires people to actually take action. You either take action or ask your CSO for another lead. You will get one. What you're not allowed to do anymore is do nothing. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I mean, you know, in the secret, you know, they talk about, oh, yeah, you can, you know, sit there and meditate all day long on, you know, whatever. And then the next thing you know, if you're not doing and, you know, being in action, you know, with your goals, et cetera, you know, pretty soon your things will be by the street. I, you know, I, I don't know why. The, I always remember that scene. but um, But the whole thing is that, I love how you say, get clear on what it is you want, and your CSO will give you another lead. You know, and it's like sometimes it's the the, the words on the radio, like you know, the volume will go up. Sometimes you're in a uh, you know a grocery store line, and someone will start talking about Machu Picchu, and you've just been saying you want to go to Machu Picchu. It's just so amazing how it's delivered. But you know, but you have to be willing to listen and that's what Alex did he saw it it was a a visual but in his mind he had all the other you know things that had just happened and you know I also like how you explained that sometimes when you do start focusing on a higher frequency and intention for yourself it can get a little um, crazy when things unravel before you go to the next step but that's part of the process there is that strong that strong pull back to what Mm -hmm. was norm, you know, that old mental equivalent. I mean, and you can see this um, happen all the time with with people that, not all the people, but many people that will win the lottery. You know, maybe their normal lifestyle was, you know, $50,000 a year or $60,000 a year lifestyle. And now they have all of this money, but they haven't prepared their mental equivalents. They haven't increased the highest level of good that they can stand to be greater than that $50,000 a year life. And so consequently, you read story after story about them losing everything and damaging relationships. There's that, that you know, unconscious pull back to what was normal. Right. That, that mental equivalence. And so that's one of the things that... Alex had experienced, 
You know, he was, his. what he wanted was something he had never experienced before, which was a job where he got to be visible, where he got to be powerful, where he got to be a full-fledged contributor and to be valued and appreciated and and to be creative. He had never done that before. His whole life he had tried to stay as invisible as possible because it was safe. Right. So stepping out of his comfort zone and in learning how to vision and set intention and then being willing to receive it. You know, I think that's I think that's what happens with the lottery people. I mean, I they've done studies on this as you said and it's just you know, you have to be ready uh and willing to receive all of the good. And I think that when people have never experienced it, it's a full faith, full trust. Um, and I think that's why when you study a mentor or you study someone, you know, I, I once did a, a feng shui consultation on a woman's office, and I was teaching her about fame and reputation, you know, the, that area in the Bagua or your home or your office. And I said, so fame and reputation is something you want to be known for or is someone that you know that you aspire to be like them. I said, or you can use an animal energy, you know, to represent the energy of what you want to create. You know, like, you know, I said, for me, I used the horse totem full speed ahead when I was working on a particular um, part of my, my, you know, business. And I said, I put that horse there until the phone was ringing off the hooks. And, you know, I had put wind chimes by my front door and painted my doors, front doors red. I had so much energy may coming into my house that I was like, oh, my God. So I slowed it down. But but the point is is that this woman totally understood it, and she put a picture of this woman who, during the the Great Depression, um, bought real estate and made her fortune. Like when things were the worst, she found a way to find housing and give it to um, you know people who needed housing. And so this woman put that picture in the fame and reputation, and she would look at that woman every day and said, if she could do that during the Depression, I can do that now. She bought, uh, fixed, and sold 70 houses in one year. It was her very first year out. Wow. She, she got investors. She had mentoring programs. But she, nothing stopped her. And she was making 70000 a year when – she came to me for a consult and said, am I crazy for thinking about doing this? And, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, I gave her the coaching session, and I said, no, you're not. I mean, the ceiling's going to be lifted off, and I said, you've learned everything you can learn about this insurance-adjusting job, and your passion's not there. So I, I, you know, I really like how you have brought from your childhood, you know, this, this you know, your teachers, you know, your parents who taught you love you know, love what you do, you know, rather than, oh, go be an engineer. I mean, I can't tell you how many male engineers are running around because it was a safe job for them, you know, um, and school teachers and nurses and, you know, that maybe are not the job they were ever really fit for, but that's what the parents would pay for or guided them to, you know. Um, so I think that, you know, that's the trick to all of this is knowing your goals, knowing what you want, you know, and your book just gives you, totally gives you the formula, both of your books. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. And I, I completely understand the whole idea of, you know, the family being supportive of their kid getting a sensible degree that will be a, have a, you know, real, real career path and, and, um, 
you know, some stability and security. Um, one of the girls that took a workshop from me, I think I tell her story in the gratitude formula. She is a scientist, a research scientist for a cancer research center, and she's really good at it, and she likes it. And um, she took a workshop from me and decided that what she wanted to do was sing part-time and get paid for it. And she was writing down her daily practice every day about entertaining wonderful audiences and having a ball and being rewarded financially and, you know, using terrific words for her goal statements. And a couple months later, she said she was going to give up on it because she hadn't gotten any intuitive leads to take action. And so I asked her, I said, well, tell me about it. Um, Can you sing? (laughs) And so she sang for me, and she really has a beautiful voice. I got goosebumps. I mean, she has a gorgeous voice. And I said, did you ever want to sing professionally when you were younger? She said, well, yeah. When I was a kid, I had told my family I wanted to be a professional singer, and they told me I was foolish. They said that, you know, that's not a career, that it's a really hard life, and that what I needed to do was go to school and get a sensible degree and a sensible job and plan for my future and and have security. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you see what your belief is. Singing for singing as a hobby is fine. Singing for money, not so fine. Interesting. Says, oh. So she, in addition to writing out every single day her goal statements and having her meeting with her CSO, she was told to go out and find people and read stories about people who were singing and getting paid for it. So she'd go to the clubs and and meet some people, you know, jazz clubs and things like that, the kind of venue that she likes to sing in. And one day she was at a uh, fundraiser at this beautiful mansion, uh, It was a fundraiser for her cancer research center, and as a scientist, she was told she had to come. And while she was there, she saw this trio performing in the corner, and she inched over, and she was watching them. It was a woman that was singing and two musicians, and right then and there, she looked at this woman and thought, oh, my gosh, I could do that. Mm -hmm. I could do that. Right there, her brain took intuition off mute, and she started having ideas and thoughts. And one of them was to go to this other event, and it was really crowded, and she had some friends there. And from across the room, this guy walks through. I mean, it's almost like he has a spotlight on him. And she's watching this guy walk from the other side of the room, weave through the crowd, and come right up to her and stick out his hand. And he introduced himself. And in the course of the conversation, he said that he had agreed to be in charge of putting on uh, entertainment at the community center in the area that he lived. And he had a budget for entertainment. Well, right then, her gut is yelling at him. I mean, yelling at her, saying, tell him you're a singer. Tell him you're a singer. And so she blurts that out. And he said, great, come audition. She got her first paying part. I mean, stories like this, I know, are so true. But it's like you they never lose their magic. Yeah. It's not it's not a mystery. This is just mm-hmm. a system. She right. had to get to the point where she shifted that old belief mm-hmm. into possibility that it was okay. So today she sings part time, she gets paid for it. She still loves being a scientist. I mean she's still doing really great work and she feels that it's very meaningful. 
but she has regular singing gigs on the side and is having a ball. So she gets to use all of her creativity and use this voice of hers in a way that brings mm-hmm. others' pleasure, her pleasure. And, you know, she's found a way. But, but yeah. thank goodness you were, like, able to help her with what part of the story she was still stuck in. Right, and so many of us have those hidden beliefs, and science has caught up, and what what science has shown is that in our brains we have neural pathways, and there are some that are so deeply grooved and so strong, and these are tied to our really strong beliefs and behaviors that have been created over a lifetime. Now, the good news about that is we can strengthen a different neural pathway that has a different belief, simply through repetition and making what we want familiar and welcome. And that is a science as well. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, yes. I, love, I love it's... how science is catching up with spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, you look at the great scientists and, you know, I mean, I mean, just think about, you know, what, who was it, Alexander Graham Bell? I mean, I wasn't a scientist exactly, but he, he, he's the one who made the telephone. And how many times, or is it Edison? Maybe I have it backwards. It was Edison trying to make the light bulb. He failed and failed and failed and failed, and he just never gave up. He never gave up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and here we have our lights everywhere because someone had this vision and knew that they could figure it out. And... You look at the thirst right now, I you know, I think right now more than ever people want, especially the millennials, you know, everybody talks about them, but the millennials are wired differently. I mean, that is why corporate America is trying to figure out how do I how do I inspire these young folks? And a lot of them do not have dress codes anymore. They have flex time, they have you know, my son is thirty three and just started this job where they get two weeks of vacation, but basically they can have as much vacation as they want as long as they can do their job um, when they're away. And I, I said, what kind of a job is that? <laughs> he said, Mom, this is the way it is. It's a small startup company that, you know, is is going, you know, I mean, he says they're doing great. And it's because they have so many different people from different cultures and, you know, we're all not all the same. So it's just a matter of, you know, it makes people feel as if they're self-employed in a way because they, you know, it's not the same rules for, I mean, I guess it's the same rules and agreements, but you get what I'm saying. You can think outside the box and create the life you want and still have this full-time job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, yeah, I mean, I think so many people um, think that it has to be one way or the other, and I love the story that you shared about the scientist who now has this whole creative part, but she didn't give up the scientific part to have the shot at the other. It's So many people, I think, think it has to be all or nothing, and that's oftentimes not how it plays out. You know, I mean, well, it just doesn't. So anything else, May? I mean, I want to talk about your website. It's uh, when, we, when I go to it, it automatically goes to a new website. I'm sure you're aware of that. Um, and so on your site, well, it, you it have... Should go, it should go to the book tab of... Bazults, which is my business. Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I, I was going to ask. Okay, because I really like that name. I'm like, ooh, Bazults. 
It's like business and results all at once. <laughs> so, right. so I want to um, mention, um, listeners, if you go to www.maymccarthy.com, um, it'll automatically forward you there, and there's um, wonderful information here. You can find out about May's blog, her events. She has a store. Um, she has all the different things about her services and uh, it looks like you're teaching a lot of workshops, and um, so all of that information is on there. And anything else you want to add, May, that you're you're involved in, or anything coming up um, that you want to yes. share with the listeners? I do. First of all, if they do go to maymccarthy.com, that will land them on the book page. So for your listeners, they can actually download the first few chapters of each of my books for free, and see see how they like them. And there's lots of other free information available as well on the different tabs. Um, One event that's coming up that I'm super excited about is going to be May 17th through the 19th. And it's at a retreat center in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina called the Art of Living Retreat Center. And I'm so excited. We are going to go deep, deep, deep. And in addition, the retreat center has yoga and spa treatments and hiking and and all sorts of wonderful uh, meditation and all sorts of things that are just part of staying there for free, as well as wonderful meals and great rooms and stuff. But we're really going to go deep, and, and it's going to be a transformative and very empowering retreat from Friday through Sunday. Wonderful, and that's the nineteenth. Um, and yeah, more information is on my website. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the um, the tagline is the path to wealth, seven steps for prosperity, health, and freedom. And then, oh my goodness, the Blue Ridge Mountains are fabulous. And then um, it's just two hours outside of Asheville, North Carolina. I've been to the Asheville. Um, Cherokee Reservation. I mean, this is just all God's country. It's exquisitely beautiful. But how yeah. nice and that they have all these other... Into, yeah, if people go into Charlotte, um, then it's only 78 miles outside of Charlotte, and they have a free shuttle that will take you from the airport to the Art of Living Retreat Center. That is fabulous. So there's all kinds of other workshops. Um, everything's on the website, and May, I just cannot thank you enough uh, for the for the wonderful blessings that you've given to all of us, you know, with your books and just your time and your spirit. You know, it's you've, you're influencing a lot of people, and I just really appreciate. And you're always welcome to be part of Spirit Seeker anytime you want to publish an article, anything, um, you know, anything you want. We will be there for you because um, that's what we do. We inspire and motivate, and your work is top drawer. Oh, so thank you, um, so thank really you. appreciate it. And thanks for all the great work you're doing as well. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, listeners, and um, www.maymccarthy.com. And May, thank you so much. And um, all right. So we will be in. Uh, we will stay in touch. And for all of you listeners, remember send an email to info at spiritseeker.com, asking to be added to the email list, or just go to spiritseeker.com, and then you will know about all these wonderful events. Okay. Thank you so much, May. All right. right. Thanks, Cindy. Bye now. Okay. Bye.